Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Ridiculous, Morgan. My boy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week seven of the college football season. I think I got my microphone situation straightened out this week. Uh, I want to open the show with a little bit of of news. Usually this is the kind of thing that comes around halftime of the podcast. Uh, But I did want to let everyone know that the Scoop and Score podcast has inked a new deal uh, where I have promised to keep the show going through at least the 2022 season. So you've got me for another two and a half college football seasons, whether you want me or not. Uh, and I am very excited to announce uh, the partnership with the Braga Meats. Now, here's the thing. I don't have any kind of official script yet. Uh, there's there's likely going to be some kind of promo code coming your way soon, uh, but we don't have that just yet. But I know you'll all be very excited uh, for, for that to be coming possibly as soon as next week. But I do want to let everyone know uh, if you're, you know, you're stuck in your house, restaurants aren't really open yet, but you still want restaurant quality meats. You go to debraga.com. That's with two G's, D-E-B-R-A-G-G-A.com. No matter where in the country you live, if you live in the greater New York area, you're probably, listen, there's all these options out there. I'll get you the details in coming weeks, but you're going to have, you're going to have cheap shipping options. You're going to get fresh, high-end quality meats quickly to your door. And if you live anywhere else in the country, listen, you might have to spend a little bit on shipping, but it's still going to get to your fresh. They still pack it up so nice that it'll, it'll still be good, you know, just in your refrigerator for probably a week, anything you don't eat. uh, You're just going to freeze. It's, it's going to be just as good when you eat it later. Go to debraga.com, browse the website. I understand if you want to wait a week for a promo code, I get it. Just start browsing the website see what you might want to get. Their pork chops, completely sublime. Their burgers are great. Their steaks are great. They got the Wagyu. They got, you know, dry aged stuff. They got everything you could possibly want. So go over to Braga, start planning what you're going to order. And then next week, I hope to come back with the promo code. You can make your order. If if you're far away from New York and you're going to have to, you know, pay, pay a higher shipping cost, I would plan to buy in bulk you know, knock the shipping all out of the way with one big bulk order, uh, and then you're 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 just gonna freeze it, and you're really gonna be good on meats. We got the holidays coming up. You're gonna want to be you know grilling some delicious steaks if you're having family over or anything like that. So uh, make sure you get over to debraga.com and uh, and and be prepared to have some delicious meats. And now on to college football, and what a weekend we had. In week six, um, I mean, some some games certainly uh, warrant me going into great detail, but I want to just kind of rapid fire go through some of the things we saw um, outside of the games that I'll really go uh, with more of a deep dive into. I mean, we had number eight, North Carolina holding off number 19, Virginia Tech, 56 to 45. That North Carolina offense certainly looks good. That being said, it's it's against a really depleted uh, Virginia Tech defense, particularly the secondary. 
Virginia Tech has been dealing with a lot of COVID issues and the secondary has been hit harder than any other part of the team. So not surprising to see North Carolina put up 56 points. I think a little bit concerning if you're a Tar Heel fan about the fact that they gave up 45 points to this Virginia Tech team. Uh, something to think about, uh, you know, if, if you're hoping that North Carolina can contend in the ACC, I think a lot of evidence from this past weekend uh, further proved that it's probably Clemson and then everybody else in that conference. Uh, Auburn, with a, with a very dramatic win, just beating Arkansas by two points in a game that included a backward spike that should have been ruled a fumble. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, because the rest blew the whistle, we didn't have a clear recovery. Uh, Auburn, with, with a huge benefit uh, from that call, able to maintain possession, kick game-winning field goal in the final seconds. Otherwise, Arkansas would be 2-1 and one in Sam Pittman's first year as coach. What a remarkable turnaround for the Razorbacks there. A lot of people thought they would be one of the worst teams in the country. Notre Dame was supposed to play them uh, in week two under the pre-COVID schedule. And I got to say, given the way that Arkansas has been playing, uh, I'm not too hap- not too unhappy that that game uh, got got uh, rescheduled or, or really just moved off the calendar entirely. Uh, going down the list here of just small items, I mean, Pitt and Boston College went to overtime. Uh, Boston College Scores a touchdown, makes the extra point. Pitt answers, scores a touchdown, and misses the extra point. BC wins that game by one point. Right, you know, it, it just kind of makes sense that uh, Pitt can't really seem to have nice things. Although I think they have a chance at a, uh, a nice bounce back this coming weekend. We'll talk about that in just a second. And of course, the last tidbit um, before uh, getting into some more important games. But uh, LS, uh, sorry, uh, Mississippi State. Um, after knocking off the defending national champions, uh, have lost their last two games, including in their most recent game against Kentucky, where they scored two points. Uh, anytime you score two, it's somehow worse than scoring zero. Um, I don't have a good feel for why. It just looks so much sadder on the scoreboard to see 24 to two. Um, but yeah, so quite a fall, uh, quite a fall from from a hot start. Uh, for for Mike Leach and KJ Costello after that week, uh, that first I was going to say week one, I think it's like week five after their uh, their first week performance there, uh, but that is sort of life with Mike Leach as your coach and the aforementioned LSU Tigers defending national champions. They went to Missouri and gave Missouri their first win of the season, uh, 45 to 41. Missouri with a last minute uh, defensive stand there. LSU moves to one and two on the season. Pretty wild uh, what's going on, I mean, throughout the college football world, even without the Big Ten and Pac-12 playing, but especially um, in the SEC. Although I say especially in the SEC, and I immediately have to go to the absolute craziness that was the premier rivalry in the Big 12. Of course, talking about the Red River game between Oklahoma and Texas, this game was nuts from start to finish. More so on the finish side, though. Oklahoma took uh, a big lead, a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Texas comes back, scores 14, I think, in like the last six minutes or so. I mean, not totally uh, dissimilar from their comeback against Texas A&M, although this one they did with a little bit more time. Uh, no, they're, they're two touchdowns looking at this here. They scored uh, with 3.28 left in the game and then scored again with 14 seconds left in the game 
uh, to send this one to overtime. Uh, the teams traded touchdowns in the first and second overtime before Oklahoma scored in the... Oh, yeah, both teams missed field goals in the third overtime, including a interesting decision uh, by Lincoln Riley to kick uh, on second down uh, in the third overtime. Fourth overtime, Oklahoma scores. Texas promptly throws an interception. Uh, the young co-ed throws the middle finger up to the camera, and the rest is history. I don't really know what there is to say about two two-and-two teams that are not going to reach their goals for this season. What I will say is Gus Johnson has gone through such an interesting, and it's it's a career arc that we've seen. We see it in all fields. We see it in sports. We see it with uh, with actors and actresses. We really see it where, where you kind of, you have someone on the ascent and kind of, you have to be in the know to know how awesome they are. And that's like 2005 era Gus Johnson. I mean, I all automatically think of that NCAA tournament game, uh, the Vermont Catamounts knocking off uh, the Syracuse Orange. And, and you know, you've got uh, Coppenrath and you've got uh, TJ Sorrentine from the parking lot. And, and that was really the ascension of Gus Johnson. And then he really becomes popular. And all of a sudden he's kind of getting in the way of big games. He's sort of annoying. It's like, okay, the shtick is a little bit too much. And now he's come full circle where I think he might even be self-aware. And it's just such a joy, especially in a game like this, where, you know, I don't know if I'd want him calling like the national championship game, but just an absolute shootout where there's a lot of bad football being played. Uh, but, you know, everyone's still pretty much glued to uh, to the screen and, and cares about the outcome. Just even if you're finding some random reason to root uh, for one team or the other. That's exactly where you want Gus. I mean, he just had a couple of absolute explosions in this game, and he just seems to be so excited. He knows he has to say something, and he just doesn't know what. I mean, at one point after a big touchdown, you know, he gives a wow! And then after a pause, he just, I think he just yelled Big 12. You know, he just announced the conference that the game was in. He might have just said Fox at one point, which I'm sure his employer certainly appreciates that but his no other announcer is is doing what he's doing it's just great imagine if you in your in your regular life you know you you were out at a at a bar with friends and you just you you were having a fun time and you just started announcing you know the things that were around you or or what was you know you're you're like oh new york city you just you know it's 2020 just yelling the year the the place that is what Gus Johnson is doing in his job. And I really encourage everyone to just start treating their lives the same way that Gus Johnson calls an Oklahoma-Texas game. So I don't know, maybe some of your loved ones won't really appreciate it, but at least give it a chance. Just next time something meaningful or exciting happens, just yell something that has to do with what's going on around you. You know, the the announcing the conference equivalent of whatever's going on in your life. And please let me know uh, the results of how that goes, because I think I'm going to start doing it. And I, I'd like to just know uh, how everyone else is faring as well. Um, the other game I think that was most similar to that Oklahoma-Texas game. Boy, actually, I mean, I say that there were a lot of games similar to that Oklahoma-Texas game in terms of craziness. Um but Florida-Texas A&M 
certainly was interesting for a lot of reasons. Reason number one, and not making a political judgment, there were a lot of people in 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 College Station at Texas A&M at that game. Um, and, and that crowd certainly seemed to have an impact on the game. Uh, Dan Mullen, uh, frustrated in his post-game uh, interview, said that he wanted to pack the swamp this coming weekend. Uh, spoiler alert, that's not going to be happening. Uh, we'll get to those details in a bit. But Florida jumped out to a lead here. Texas A&M, you know, their defensive coordinator, Mike Elko, uh, came over from Notre Dame a couple years ago after doing such a good job. You know, was one of the most highly touted defensive coordinators you could have. This team, not only are they out of position, but they just don't tackle at all. I don't know what's going on with that defense, but ultimately uh, the defense was was just good enough, uh, getting a few stops uh, in the second half. And, and Kellen Mond, as I sort of predicted last week on this podcast, Kellen Mond had a great game going 25 of 35 for 338 and three touchdowns. It's the kind of game that he's going to have once in a while. Um, usually you're going to see that kind of performance from him at home. And they just uh, had enough firepower to outlast Florida uh, and, and win that game by three. So knocks, uh, knocks Florida out of kind of early season uh, playoff contention, obviously, you know, if they can go through the rest of their season with just one loss, they're going to have no problem because they will be SEC East champs. Um, they'll have a chance to play in the SEC championship game and will certainly have a good chance at the playoffs. So really not the end of the world for Florida, but if they can't get their defense fixed and it looked like their defense uh, certainly had problems early in the season, you know, thinking back to their game against South Carolina, who's certainly not a great offense. Um, that's the kind of thing uh, that I think Florida really has to be worried about because their offense is loaded. The two Kyles are great again. Uh, no problems there. But uh, but it really looks like the SEC has a bit of a defensive problem. And that carries over even to the teams that uh, we think would never have a defensive problem. And that includes the Alabama Crimson Tide, went to Ole Miss, eventually won 63-48. to But, I mean, it was it was really just a bad, sta- bad snap deep in the red zone in the fourth quarter for Ole Miss uh, that prevented them from scoring again and just keeping pace. I mean, these teams were just trading touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, went into halftime tied, and ultimately Alabama just outlasts Ole Miss, scoring one more touchdown in the third and one more touchdown in the fourth. But uh, boy, Alabama's defense really not good, uh, even going so far as to suggest that Ole Miss was potentially stealing their signals while they were playing offense. Um, I think it's more of an issue of, of Ole Miss just going really fast. Lane Kiffin, you know, certainly uh, spending a couple of years on staff with Nick Saban, likely knows some of the ways to beat him. And Ole Miss was certainly able to exploit that Alabama offense. That being said, they just had no, oh, sorry, exploit the Alabama defense, had no chance of stopping or even slowing down or even making it inconvenient for Alabama's offense. Mac Jones throws for 417 yards. Najee Harris runs for 206 and five touchdowns. Just an absolutely unstoppable force. And, uh, and boy, they have absolutely just reloaded from last year. Uh, Mac Jones not really missing a beat, uh, taking over for Tua. We saw him do it in the back half last year, and he's uh, he's really making it work as the full-time starter. Uh, no problem at all there. Um, 
And then uh, Alabama's opponent to this coming week, Georgia, they knocked off Tennessee without too much trouble, although they were down uh, 21-17 at halftime and then just blew the doors off off Tennessee uh, 27-0 in the second half to win 44-21. Although that kind of slow start for Georgia they they had a slow start in their in their first week uh, game. If they have that kind of slow start again against Alabama, uh, they are going to be in some trouble because Alabama is not going to wait around like Tennessee and and only score 21 points in the first half. They're going to light it up. So Georgia's going to have to start faster and keep pace. We'll dive into that one a little bit more going forward. Uh, Tennessee, I think. Uh, I think it's fair to pretty much write them off as being any kind of contender in the SEC. I don't even see them playing spoiler to anyone uh, on their schedule. They're just not good enough to compete uh, on really on either side of the ball. Um, so, you know, it was it was a nice win streak and and it's nice for Tennessee to be ranked again and, and Pruitt probably has them moving in the right direction. Uh, but but certainly this is not going to be the year that it happens for Tennessee. Um, moving to the ACC, I guess I'll talk about uh, Notre Dame and Florida State first, because this was actually the game that uh, I watched more of. Uh, Notre Dame, it was scarier than maybe you thought. I apologize to the listeners that uh, that laid the, the 20 and a half points uh, with the Irish. Although, if you, if you listened to the podcast closely, uh, and I know some of you did because I was talking to you throughout the game. You were able to be patient. You let Notre Dame shake off that rust. You let uh, Florida State take an early lead. And then you hammered Notre Dame on an adjusted line. Some of you had them at down at 13 and a half, 14, 15. Uh, and, and those were all winners as they won the game by 16. So that's what you get for listening. Not only do you get the the coupons for for some good quality meat, you also get the tidbits of, of how to win some bets beyond just those following me on Twitter uh, for the picks there. You know, this was a game where, uh, as as I mentioned, Jordan Travis for Florida State uh, really looked like the answer at quarterback. He's not going to, you know, win. He's not going to, they're not going to go nine and three, uh, or I don't even know how many, nine and nine and two, eight and three, depending on how many games get played this season. But he's certainly a, a, fine replacement level quarterback for Florida state as they kind of build themselves up a little bit this season, Notre Dame with a fumble on their second offensive play muffed a punt later in the first quarter. So they definitely uh, gave, uh, gave Florida state some chances, but ultimately uh, Florida state's defense so bad. Notre Dame was able to pretty much just run the ball uh, whenever they wanted game was never really in doubt. Um, uh, and, and certainly good to see Ian book throwing the ball pretty well there because Ian Book is going to have to throw the ball well if Notre Dame is going to complete compete with the Clemson Tigers. Clemson completely dominated Miami 42 to 17. Uh, every time I, I was seeing a lot of people text me about this game, uh, about how much of a blowout it was, and then I would switch back over to check the score and Clemson would be up by like 11 points. And so I wasn't exactly following how much of a blowout it was, but really it was more if you if you look at the stats and, and, you know, from those who did watch the game, probably never really as close as the score was indicating. Uh, Miami was just completely unable to move, uh, move the ball on offense. Uh, couldn't stop Travis Etienne, 17 carries for 149 and two touchdowns. The only glimmer of hope uh, coming at the end of the first half when Miami was able to block a field goal attempt and return it for the touchdown, which gives me the chance to play this. A scoop and score. 
But unfortunately, that was uh, about the only positive for Miami there, who now has to kind of pick up the pieces um, and and go play a tricky pit, pit team that's lost two in a row and, and might be a bit of a tough opponent. Um, and with that, why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit about the week seven slate. I've been trying to tweet my picks for week seven for quite a bit here. Um, and Twitter is down and nobody, nobody can tweet. Uh, I don't know. Oh, it just went through. I kept clicking it and it went through and my picks are now out there. Um, and I've even got a couple picks here that I didn't want. I didn't want to go above five, uh, but I do think there's opportunity to make money. So I'll talk a little bit uh, about some of these other games. Now, the first one, I'll just say, I don't have a lot of insight on the game, but it just seems like a fishy line to me. And that is Duke uh, is currently only getting four and a half at NC State. Duke is one and four. NC State is three and one. They've got a common opponent in Virginia and in Virginia Tech. Um, and Virginia Tech, NC State lost what? NC State lost by 21. Uh, well, okay, Duke only lost by seven. Um, but on the flip side at Virginia, NC State wins by 17 and Duke loses by 18. Anyway, I just would have expected NC State to be like a 10-point favorite in this game. The fact that they're only a four-and-a-half-point favorite, this one is purely a, this line looks too low, and therefore I would take Duke. Um, so that's just one. And then the other one that I didn't make an official pick, um, but I sort of like, is uh, is Louisville. Uh, going to Notre Dame, they're getting 17 points. I expect Notre Dame to move the ball pretty easily in this game. I think they'll score some points, um, but we've seen it with Ian Book before. It's rare that he puts together um, multiple really efficient games in a row. So while I think Notre Dame definitely scores on the ground, it's hard to really put up explosive numbers uh, on offense without a nice passing game. And then from Louisville's standpoint, they've got some playmakers on offense. Uh, JV and Hawkins and, and Tutu Atwell, um, are, are both, you know, really fast and dynamic in space. And part of what is has kept Louisville back this year, and they're at one and three with losses to Miami, Pitt, and Georgia Tech, all of which were, well, the Miami game wasn't close, but Pitt and Georgia Tech, both uh, close enough games, at least until Georgia Tech pulled away late. Uh, a ton of turnovers for Louisville. And I, I did a whole spiel about turnovers last year, but uh, certainly they mean a lot over the course of a season. But in one game, that's a small enough sample that uh, turnovers don't mean a whole lot in terms of if one team is turnover prone and another team's not, that doesn't need to be that way for one game. So right now, Louisville with a, with a minus eight turnover margin through just four games, that's nearly unheard of. And that could easily uh, flip um, against Notre Dame, you know, just by uh, a fumble uh, or, or one bad decision from Ian Book. And that makes this game a lot closer. So with that, I think Louisville is, uh, I think Louisville is a better team than Florida State. And, and Notre Dame just won that game by 16. So I like, uh, I definitely like Louisville plus 17 there. I don't think it's going to be uh, a game that's really ever in doubt for Notre Dame, but I think they could certainly just kind of be winning by two scores the whole way. And there's also backdoor potential uh, with some of those Louisville playmakers getting a score late. So that's how I feel about that one. Uh, and, and and I already mentioned Duke. So those are the two that I'm not officially giving as picks. But uh, if you're just really fiending for action, uh, those two you might want to play. Um, 
I will also mention, okay, so I mentioned both Pitt and Miami. Uh, you know, just when you think Pitt's good, that's when they start to fall apart. Um, now they're getting 13 and a half points at Miami. You know, the way that Miami played at Clemson, I just have some concerns about whether there could be some lingering impact. Uh, you know, it's, it's a situation where you start to wonder, you know, okay, we, we can't kind of compete with the best teams in the ACC. So at this point, uh, what are we really playing towards? Um, could, could take a week or two to kind of shake the rust off, not rust, but, but shake that, uh, feeling of, of getting really beaten down, uh, by Clemson and Pitt's not the kind of team you want to see in that sort of situation, a really strong defensive line. They're going to play a lot of tight coverage man to man on the outside. They're going to force DR King, uh, to, to beat him with, with his arm and, D.R. King, I mean, he's a fine thrower, but he'd rather beat you with his legs. Uh, I could see Pitt pressuring him a lot, making his day really difficult. I think there's a chance Pitt pulls the outright upset here, which seems like a very Pitt thing to do after losing two games in a row. I definitely like the Panthers taking the 13 and a half. I would expect this to be a one-score game. Another team... Um, that I just think is going to kind of reverse their fortune a little bit is Mississippi State. Um, they are getting five, hosting Texas A&M, who we talked about riding high off of the win against Florida. And this just seems like a perfect opportunity. Um, you get you get Mike Leach teams are just so up and down, and that's how they've always been kind of uh, throughout his coaching career. So you've got Mississippi State. They win their first game against LSU. They then immediately, everyone's talking about them, they immediately drop their next two and couldn't really look worse doing it. Now, Texas A&M, you know, how they've been under Jimbo Fisher with Kellen Mond, they've been so up and down. So they finally win the big game against the top five team at home last week. Now they're going to Mississippi State, play a team that's just completely sinking. I just think this is the perfect opportunity for both of these teams to kind of have a reversal of fortunes. I think Mississippi State actually probably... Uh, gets back into the win column with another upset here. I certainly like the five points at home. I think uh, I think they find a way to win, and and if they if they can't, I think uh, they certainly keep it within a field goal. So I do like Mississippi State there um, in a bit of an upset. Maybe two outright uh, dogs pulling the upsets in those two picks so far. Uh, at 7:30 in the evening, I don't think I'm skipping anything uh, that's really relevant in the afternoon. I mean, Auburn, South Carolina could be an interesting game. Uh, and, and Clemson plays Georgia Tech, probably not going to be very close. So yeah, we'll go to the 7.30 slate and uh, North Carolina goes to Florida State. North Carolina, this thing I saw opened at like nine or something. Uh, I'm, I'm getting it here. Uh, North Carolina laying 13 and a half. I mean, Notre Dame gifted Florida State 10 points in that game. And, and still won by 16. I see no reason why North Carolina with their offense um, can't uh, can't just score at will against this Florida State defense. Uh, I've heard rumors that Tamari and Terry, Florida State's best player on offense by far, their receiver, might be injured um, for this game. If that's the case, I don't really even see how Florida State scores. I think this is one of the easy... I don't know. I don't know what I'm missing here. This seems like one of the easier picks of the year. With North Carolina, I mean, Sam Howell, I believe he was uh, committed to Florida State at one point. 
um, getting to go to Florida State and kind of uh, show them what they missed out on. I think Florida. I think I think North Carolina could legitimately win this game by 35 points, and uh, and they're only laying 13 and a half. So that seems like a pretty good deal to me. Uh, before I get into the biggest game of the weekend, uh, which I will be picking, uh, I'll also just say BC plus 12 at Virginia Tech. BC's look pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I kind of hate to admit it, but Phil Dracovic is doing a really nice job at quarterback for BC. I, I wish that he was waiting to take over this job at Notre Dame from Ian Book next year, but that's not how uh, that's not how things happened. But Jeff Halfley has that team playing pretty good defense in his first year, obviously a defensive guy. They've looked pretty good uh, knocking off Pitt last week, playing North Carolina close the week before. So going to Virginia Tech, uh, a team that has probably outperformed expectations uh, a little bit so far this year. Um, I think... Uh, I don't know. I just think this is a pretty evenly matched game in terms of on-field talent. Uh, I would have expected this to be a spread in like the, I don't know, six and a half, maybe seven range. So to be getting 12 points here, really like BC in that one. Uh, I think they keep it close. And that one could also be an outright win. I think I think we're looking at, between Pitt and BC, we're looking at two double-digit dogs uh, with legitimate chance at outright road wins. Um, so, so I certainly like that. Um, as I kind of alluded to earlier, Florida and LSU not happening. Uh, Florida had a COVID outbreak. Uh, hopefully they can get everything under control, although they don't have a bye week uh, the following week. When this happened, you might remember a couple of weeks ago with Notre Dame, they were fortunate enough to have a bye week the next week already. So they uh, they were able to reschedule the one game and then sort of get the team healthy over the next bye week and then get ready to play. This could be a tough situation for Florida if they have to postpone back-to-back games. And just given the numbers that are being reported, it seems like that's going to be a, a tough thing for them to avoid. Uh, but hopefully they get that figured out. Um, we are... Um, but we that is a big that is a big game that unfortunately we will, we will be missing but uh something to look forward to in December when i have a feeling we're going to end up with a nice slate of games in in mid December as a lot of these postponed games end up falling there and uh and that leaves us with Georgia going to Alabama um another covid case uh this one Nick Saban uh unfortunately with covid all reports sound like he's feeling pretty okay he's been able to coach um, remotely from his house. Uh, I don't know exactly what the deal is going to be on whether or not he's allowed to have any contact with the team during the game. I think the rules will be no, uh, based on what happened with Mike Norvell at Florida State. Um, so that means game day, the controls are going to go to Steve Sarkeesian. And uh, this will be kind of, you know, he's certainly been a head coach on a big stage before, both at Washington and USC. Uh, things didn't go great for him then, um, but but certainly an opportunity for him, and and he's had the experience, so lights probably shouldn't be too bright for him. And the way that Nick Saban runs that program, I just have to imagine that everyone knows their job so well that him missing a game, they can likely pretty much operate as if he's there. Um, I I don't see this being a huge deal for Alabama. That offense is so good. Um, they will, this will be the best defense they play going against Georgia. I just don't think, uh, Georgia has the firepower to, to stop this team. We certainly saw Georgia was no match for the likes of, of LSU in last year's SEC championship game. And this offense is, is 
close to being right up there with the LSU offensive last year. So I don't think Georgia is going to be able to stop Alabama. And if Georgia can't keep pace uh, in the early part of this game and they fall behind, say, something like 21 to 7, they're just not going to come back because Alabama can score too easily to to give up a two-score lead like that. So my last pick, my fifth pick of the week, I do like Alabama laying the four and a half. I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout, but I just see no reason why they can't win this game by seven points. Um, you know, I, I see this being something in the, like, I don't know, 35, 24 range. Um, and, and that's uh, maybe, th- you know, maybe 35, 28. But either way, I think they, they get, uh, I think they get the cover. I think they win by a full score. And I think they prove that for another year, they're going to be at the top of the SEC with everyone climbing the hill, trying to catch them, seeing who gets a shot against them in the SEC championship game. But I think Alabama uh, overcomes Coach Samad's illness, gets the win, and cements themselves on top of the SEC for now. I don't think I've missed anything. Uh, I feel like I threw a lot at you this week. I'm looking at the timer. We're right about 32 minutes. So I hope I packed in as much as I could. I hope everyone's excited for another big weekend of college football. Uh, and, and I hope everyone uh, I hope everyone out there stays healthy, stays safe. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Take it easy, everyone. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.